This is a quick disclaimer. Although the wise investor is trying to educate people on personal finance, what we talk about on the show is not actually financial advice for your personal and unique situation. Before trying to do anything with your money, always consult a professional. Hello, everyone, and thank you for listening to this week's episode of What They Did Not Teach You in School, presented by the Wise Investor Team. Making Canadians more financially literate, one post at a time. Just a note that the first 30 minutes of the episode is about the government programs available to everyone, including employees and business owners. If you're more interested in the investment conversation about your stocks and bonds and whether now is a good time to invest in real estate, you can fast forward to about the 40 minute mark and you can catch that part of the podcast. Hello, 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 everyone out there in the world. Today is April the 12th. It's a Sunday. We seem to be having a little bit of a disconnect between what actual day it is and what we're feeling what day it is. Today we have Mitt and Piersanth on the podcast. They're business partners from Galleon CPA. They're my accountants and they've been helping me a lot during this period of time, like COVID-19, What's the government doing in order to help us kind of like get through this period of time? So I thought it would be interesting to have them both on um, because I've been getting a lot of phone calls as a financial planner about, you know, can I apply for this $2,000 a month? What's this wage subsidy? Well, Mm -hmm. can I get a $40,000 business loan? And there's a lot of questions out there. I can can imagine how many phone calls (laughs) you guys are getting considering this is your uh, area of expertise. So I thought it would be perfect timing. Before we dive into it, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? How did you two meet? Yeah, so me and Mitt, funny enough, met in a high school accounting class years and years ago. We were the two guys who were kind of, you know, get we'd get through the work easy. We enjoyed the accounting stuff. And then we would kind of just mess around, play, what was it, PSP at the time was a thing, I think? Or, yeah, yeah. A bunch of different stuff. Just we end up shooting the shit in class, and it was, I guess, uncanny because most people were still trying to figure out the debits and credits of, of what was going on, and we're like, ah, we'll figure this out afterwards. Yeah. So we met in high school, then we ended up going to Brock University together in the accounting program. Um, you know, went through the traditional CPA CA route together, and then um, went off to work at PwC together. And then we ended up uh, starting our own practice together afterwards as well. What made you guys want to get into taxes and like biz, small business advising? Because mostly I was talking to Piersanth about this last episode. This is Piersanth's second episode on the podcast. Glad to have you back. Thanks again. And then uh, Mitt, first time, he's got the cool little background going here with the money. <laughs> what made you guys want to go into taxes? Because every person that studies accounting, they hate taxes. Are you guys really weird? Or are you guys messed in the head? Like what makes you want to be a tax accountant? Yeah, I guess the first thing I'll say is we're not actually just tax accountants. Like that's just one of the lines of services our firm offers. We do actually a good chunk of our business is CFO services and financial consulting for businesses. So the taxes ended up being one of the streams of uh, professional services for our firm, where we're also very knowledgeable about and we've been able to service a our real estate investor client base, primarily on the taxes and helping them plan and scale their portfolios. But yeah, I would not use the word tax accountants to describe us overall, that's for sure. Yeah, but I think one of the biggest things for most people or most CPAs you talk to and about taxes is just that 
a lot of them post school don't really practice it themselves and so they don't really have an understanding of it outside of the theoretical um, and that's only from the university education so they don't really stay up to date with the tax updates and those things so whenever you see something you have no like you don't stay up to date with it seems daunting and really scary right uh, but it's really just staying up to code with like the tax act is it's right there it's uh, there's like guidelines rules you got to follow uh, it's actually much easier than some of the other stuff that a lot of CPAs end up doing, uh, which is more the financial consulting and CFO services where a lot more judgment and experience is required versus uh, general accounting uh, principles. So what would you call your firm? Galleon CPA, but what would, if it, in uh, the elevator pitch, if it's not tax accountants, what is it? Oh, we're basically the financial stewards for your business. So we let you handle your focus of your business and we guide you to success financially. Um, we let business owners focus on like their bread and butter of things. And we say, look, like it's, it seems daunting, right? And it shouldn't be. Uh, so we helped them from, you know, what's the optimal way to set up your bank accounts? Where is the different types of financings that are available? What sort of government programs and other uh, things are available? How you should, you should collaborate? Um, for us, we had the opportunity to see a bunch of different companies when we worked at PwC and in our other industry uh, experience. Uh, so we're able to see like best practices and things that work. So when we work with some of our business owners, they're like, oh, I'm thinking I'm going to go and do this. And you're like, you know, most accountants will be like, okay, that's cool. Like, move on with your move on with your life we're just here to do your taxes or you know do some financial statements and move on whereas we actually i guess i guess and we invest ourselves into the small business owners and try to understand like so why are you doing this so maybe you know facebook ads don't doesn't really make sense for your business because you're selling more b2b and the b2b guy isn't really going to be on facebook where you should really target them is on linkedin and you know guiding them to our other contexts who's gone through those experiences and challenges and so leveraging our network and client experience to provide both financial but operational help to these uh, small businesses and owners. Everyone is talking about COVID-19. Literally, everyone's working from home because of it, unless you're like an essential business. And as we were saying, people can't leave their houses. So then people can't work. So they can't make money. And then that means they're not going to spend as much. The markets are down. People are losing their jobs. Businesses are going out of business. So what's been happening on your end from your perspective as accountants and your clients? What has been going on the last three weeks? What's, what's been your day-to-day -day like? Yeah, for sure. I feel like for us, we are getting a large uh, volume of phone calls and concerned business owners coming, calling us and, uh, you know, asking for our thoughts on potential next steps. So as a whole, you know, based on some of the things you mentioned, because of COVID, revenues have either stopped or significantly declined for a lot of these business owners. So they don't have income coming in yet. The majority of their expenses are still being incurred and their suppliers and vendors are still expecting to get paid. So now they're in a position where they still have a ton of cash outflow requirements coming in, but they don't have cash inflows. So as a result of that, now they either have to start cutting a lot of these expenses. And one of the first ones to go across the board is payroll and employees and staff members, things of that nature. So, that's the first one everybody has opted to cut right away and then looking in and seeing what other expenses they can either cut immediately or get a pause on or utilize their supplier relationships to kind of get some flexibility there. As some costs may be essential to keep the business afloat even as at a paused state, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. So those are some of the big calls we're getting in, ways they can get financing injected in. So what programs are available, if there's any grants or things like that, that they qualify for, 
um, just general questions of that nature, seeing um, how they could potentially get that wage subsidy utilized to bring their employees back on board, things of that nature is uh, a lot of the questions that we've been getting and dealing with. Let's start with employees, so people that aren't business owners, because I feel like that will be a shorter conversation. For those of you that are business owners, we'll be diving into it a lot more in the next like five to 10 minutes. So if you're an employee, you just got laid off, that word uh, temporary layoff has been being thrown around. What's the difference between being temporarily laid off versus being completely laid off? And what does that have to do with the person? Right, so with the temporary layoff, the employer is technically ending the employment then, but they're not completely, it's very likely you're going to be rehired. So when you do, uh, as an employer, file your record of employment, you're not paying out the vacation pay, you're not paying the severance pay, um, you're not doing any of that because your intention is to bring them back. Unfortunately, I think one thing to think about the most is both these employees and business owners are going through this finance, like not this financial stress, they're going through financial stress, but also the emotional stress. So actually laying off employees is a hard thing because you don't know necessarily if you're going to be able to get them back right away. Uh, so in instances, employees might feel as if they were betrayed by their employer. Um, and as a result, they might not go back to them or look for another job. We know clients who've had employees temporarily laid off and now that they knew the wage, wage subsidy was coming, looking to bring them back on, but those employees have found other employment. Um, those employees themselves now have to look and say, hey, look, now I need some sort of income coming in. How do I sustain myself? So the government uh, announced the Canadian Emergency Response Benefit. Um, this is what everyone's been talking about, where the government is providing basically $500 a week uh, to individuals in a lump sum payment of $2,000 upfront. And the requirements to qualify is you have to be over the age of 15 years old, have earned over $5,000 of income in 2019, or at least $5,000 of income in 2019, or in the last 12 months. Um, and that you've been laid off due to COVID, or you can't go into work due to COVID, or you're taking care of someone as a result of COVID. Um, or some parents who have to stay home because schools are closed, and so now their kids are home, and there's gotta be somebody to watch them. Um, the government is still working through some areas where they say, look, you can't earn any employment income during this time. Um, otherwise you won't qualify for the CERB uh, benefit. So Canadian Emergency Response Benefit, short form is called the CERB, um, just in case the listeners get confused. So the Thanks, CERB, <laughs> so the CERB benefit um, uh, gets paid up front and every four weeks you'll have to go and reapply for it. Uh, it's a pretty straightforward process. Um, you can either call into the phone lines, which is an automated service. You're going to have to put in your SIN number, date of birth. Uh, it seems as if it's a scam. It's not. Uh, the government is just really overwhelmed with millions of people <coughs> calling them. So CRA has retasked a number of people to do so, um, but still isn't enough <laughs> people in the day to answer all the phone calls available. Um, yeah, so it's true. It's true that I did it with a couple of my clients this week, like a handful of them. And it's so easy. You feel like you're doing something wrong. Yeah, I think. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I think the biggest thing for the government, though, is that they want people to be able to pay their rent, to pay for their bills. Um, Otherwise, people are going to just ignore the social distancing rules, and then we're not going to be able to actually mitigate the impact of COVID. So the government okay. is just trying to get it out there. So uh, the government is being pretty lenient on releasing the cash right now, but they will be reviewing it uh, on your 2020 tax return. 
Uh, and this is where, not, and this is where, and this is where a lot. Sorry to interrupt you here. This is where yeah. a lot of people, because I wanted to stop you on that point. A lot of people are feeling like they're in the gray zone or gray area. So I would love to ask you a couple questions that I've been getting from my clients. So the first one is: is what if they're making? What if before they were making less than two thousand dollars? Do they still like? Let's say they were making a thousand dollars, and now they're making zero. And they still get the two thousand. Yep, as long as they meet the requirements and they have at least five thousand dollars in twenty nineteen in income or in the last twelve months, they will still get the serve. And then, um, what happens if some people, if they're making, let's say, fifteen hundred dollars a month, they're working part time or whatever the case is, they're thinking in their head, well, if I just stop working, then I could make two thousand dollars a month, right? So what ha what's the what's the thought process that someone should have when they're making under two thousand dollars a month and being on the program they'd be making more money than if they were working. For sure. So um, I think one of the criteria again is that their job is being impacted by COVID. So the government is looking at opportunities where individuals can still earn a little bit from their part-time job or from you know other services that they're providing, uh, so, especially for self-employed individuals who can kind of work remotely. Um, but they don't they haven't released finer details there there's obviously general guidelines provided by the government there's people who can game the system who might say hey look i'll make better by just like not going to work and saying i'm afraid due to covid to them it's a personal choice that they have to make again the program only lasts for i believe 16 weeks 12 or 16 weeks and then after that um the government doesn't really say any more funds to you so unless the government goes back to go and extend it which I can't really attest to. Yeah. So you're banking on, oh, hey, I'm going to get a couple hundred bucks, maybe more now, but that might not be guaranteed in the longer term. And how about for business owners that, uh, or business owners or contract salespeople, like realtors and stuff that can uh, greatly reduce the amount of income that they make through like corporations or like anything like that, or when they collect their income, that kind of thing, what would you recommend to them? Yeah. So on, on that front, you technically, if you're self-employed, you still can't be earning that money into your corporation. Um, collecting old payments isn't going to impact it. It's just basically the day you stop working or earning income during the period. So if you're just collecting payments, it's likely you have also bills related to those payments that you already owe and that you're going to be clearing out with those funds. So the thought process is that you're not earning any new income from it. Um, if people, for example, if people saved and deferred their payment, you know, and they're utilizing that to survive right now through this period, that's, again, their personal choice and lifestyle uh, methods that they utilize. Uh, the government here is just blankly providing $2,000 for, for those because some don't have savings. Um, and some people have had drastic decreases. Some people are only maybe making $1,500, but there's others who are making $80,000, $90,000. And there's two individuals in the household uh, making that to cover their family's expenses. Now they're being brought down to, say, $2,000 each. That's $4,000 a month. Still quite a bit, but not enough when you think about the average house price in the GTA. Yeah. Um, you know, you still got to pay for your uh, car, your car, your like insurance, gas, all that stuff, you know, going to the groceries. Um, things still add up and um, it's had a large impact on a lot of people uh, trying to do this. So, you know, for some, it might work, serve might be more beneficial to them. For others, it's not. Again, as you mentioned, realtors, they, it's a lot of, some of them sell housing, they make a decent commission check on those. They're not going to be getting those. So again, this is just to cover your basic necessities. It isn't supposed to be like a luxury benefit. Exactly. So for the people that are the, the normal worker living in Toronto, they're making over fifty, seventy thousand $70,000 a year and they have mortgages to pay. 
what are some of the programs that you're seeing right now for mortgage deferrals, interest-only payments? Like, what does all this mean? What are the different options that you've seen from the lenders right now? Yeah, especially the big five banks right now have been very flexible with mortgage deferrals. Uh, right away, if it's a principal residence, it's typically no questions asked. You just got to reach out to them, let them know, and they're willing to do up to six months of deferrals. And, um, you know, the main drawback there is that those payments that you have now missed get capitalized onto the outstanding principal loan balance owing. And it'll slightly increase your interest cost over the term, term of so the loan. And so a what small increase in your payment. You just threw out a bunch of uh, accounting and finance terms. What, what does all that really mean? So if I defer my payments for six months, what's yeah. that going to mean for me when things get back to normal? Yeah. Okay. So for example, let's say your mortgage payment is three grand a month, right? Now you've deferred it for six months, six times three, that's $18,000. You now have, it's additionally as if you borrowed $18,000 on your mortgage and that gets added on. So your mortgage that was $600,000 is now $618,000 and it's being amortized and there's interest being charged on 618 now instead of so your three thousand. So your $3,000 payment might go up to let's say like $3,300 now or something. Like uh, maybe not that drastic, but there will be an increase. Yeah, for sure. To okay. now cover that extra 18 grand in, in uh, loan that's outstanding. But it's, okay. uh, I guess, definitely helpful when you only get a $2,000 serve if you have a $3,000 mortgage payment. Yeah, yeah, 100%. So what are some, uh, are there anything else that you would advise the employee who's been laid off right now during this period of time? Yeah, so I think some of my uh, recommendations would be reach out to your insurance company, uh, everything sort of that you have monthly bills for and work out payment plans and deferrals if possible. Um, I think, you know, basic uh, personal finance items as well where you know where you can cook at home instead of buying out and things of that nature to reduce expenses as much as possible look at what you have as like expenses that must happen like you absolutely can't live without and anything that that you can just get rid of for the time period whether that's like subscriptions to uh, you know different websites or services and just reduces to the ones that you are currently utilizing so what are, the, what are the biggest concerns that you're seeing for business owners right now? And what do you advise them to do in the short term as opposed to like cutting expenses and things like that? And then what are some programs that are in place? So in terms of cutting expenses, the main thing we've been advising every business owner to do is take a look at their, you know, monthly cash outflow. So the expense of all, the list of all of those expenses and go down to what's, necessary and absolutely needed to the business versus the nice to haves. So the nice to haves are the first ones to go right doing that analysis and saying, okay, yes, this is not absolutely essential for the business and we need to conserve cash right now. These are particular costs we can cut. So doing that analysis and then also on the flip end, let's say you're a business and you have a lot of outstanding accounts receivable. So, you know, sales that have been made, but you haven't collected the cash reaching out to those customers and seeing what their situation is like to ensure that a, whether you'll be able to collect the, collect those payments in a timely fashion or B, whether you need to explore other options. So, you know, one of the other big options is factoring, contacting a factoring company and selling those receivables at a discounted price to have that cash come into the business. So yes, you may this be thinking, factoring? yeah, factoring. factoring. So, okay. um, you know, 
it may it, it sucks to take a 30% hit on your revenue but you know that bringing that 70% of that cash in now could be the difference between your business surviving and dying potentially right so any cash you can get into the business get it in and doing that analysis whether it may be worth it for you to factor those billables and have them come in interesting okay yeah, and it, and I think the next one you'll probably talk about is the the programs that are available. Well, but even before we go there, let's just also talk about the fact that uh, businesses, if they have like a business loan, um, they can get either interest only payments or deferrals on that too. I know a lot of the banks are doing that. BDC is doing interest only payments for four to six months, and then I know TD Bank is also doing it. Um, is that a hard application process for people to do? Right now on the BDC's website, it's a pretty straightforward process for, for BDC specifically reach out to your account manager. Uh, they're overwhelmed. So you'll automatically get a response saying, if you're looking to defer, answer these three questions. Uh, it basically goes, what's the nature of your business? You know, how have you been impacted by COVID and are you looking to defer? And you basically go and explain the situation, depending if you're a restaurant or even something like uh, a law office where, you know, you don't have traffic coming in anymore or physiotherapists, whatever your business is, you go in and you say, hey, this is what my business does. This is how I've been impacted by COVID. And as a result, I want to defer my payments. Um, similarly, for larger businesses, um, I'm speaking to one of our colleagues there at the BDC who finances companies with uh, revenues anywhere between two to ten million dollars so these are some they're medium-sized companies they're not really large they're somewhat on the end of small to large because sales doesn't necessarily mean net income right um, and so some of these companies had really strong cash flows um, and do decent enough cash flow that they were paying previous BDC loans off and things of that nature but due to COVID now their revenue has shrunken or, or gone away and so now they need money for working capital, which is working capital is the cash you need to pay for your day-to-day -day bills, whether that's like rent, salaries, and all of, all of that. Uh, and the BDC is looking to provide working capital loans to these people. So the government's injected quite a bit of money uh, into the BDC to end uh, Export Development Canada so you, that companies can get the financing that they need to keep their businesses going during this time period uh, and continue to try to triumph uh, throughout COVID. Um, and knowing that, you know, this business is, does have cash flow, it is successful uh, outside of COVID. And they're looking at saying, hey, well, look, we'll give you a loan for six months uh, or for up to six months worth of expenses to cover the period. And, you know, what you'll end up paying this back in a five-year period once COVID is over. Um, so if you are a business owner, reach out to your lender because there's a lot of programs that they may even have internally that can help you. That's correct. Okay, so now let's talk about the programs for business owners. The biggest concerns for them right now is their revenue has gone from, let's like, you know, whatever, just for math purposes, like $10,000 a month, you down to like 30,000 or zero. Like I've seen some of my clients, you know, restaurants, salons, things that require the brick and mortar come into my store, have completely wiped out all of their revenues. What are some of the programs that they have available to them right now through the government? Yeah, so the, the big most popular one is the Canadian Emergency Bank Account. So that's a $40,000 interest-free loan that the government is willing to provide to these businesses if they meet particular criteria. The main criteria that you need to meet is that you had to have had at least $50,000 in payroll 
in previous years. So if you can show between 50,000 and the top end being 1 million, you'll be able to receive this $40,000 loan. Now, if you really quickly, Oh, sorry. Uh, before we move on to those uh, little details there, uh, payroll meaning like they had to have run through your payroll system with source deductions, that yep. kind of thing. Not like You contract. must have filed T4s for those employees and uh, remitted registered payroll. And so it is also still being reviewed. Um, the government doesn't necessarily have it perfect. So right now they're saying it's T4 summaries. Um, but there's a lot of business owners and uh, business groups who are advocating the government for, say, professionals who pay themselves through a corporation and don't necessarily have a T4 and pay themselves a dividend. And they've also been impacted uh, and would like to be eligible for this to get through this tough time. So, you know, currently, as Pearson was mentioning, you do need the T4s uh, to have been issued. Uh, but the government is con consistently reviewing and trying to figure out ways to get money to businesses that needed to get through this time period. Okay, and just to be clear, it's not even when you issue like a contractor, like the T4As, that doesn't count. It's got to be like registered T4 payrolls. Yeah. Perfect, thank you. Okay, so uh, go ahead, Pearson. What's the details of the. Uh, yeah, so I was just saying that if you can repay the loan in its entirety before December 31st, 2022, 25% uh, of the loan is forgivable. So if you can pay repay the entire loan by uh, that date, Ten up to $10,000 of it does not have to be repaid. Wow, what a deal. <laughs> and then, so what if, what if they can't pay it off by then, what would happen? Yep, so at that point, if you can't pay it off by then, then it, it converts into an interest loan with a reasonable interest rate, I believe it was around the 3% mark. At, at, at CIBC, point, it's 5%, okay. that's what they're saying, yeah. So, and then at that point, you would just have to repay the loan like a normal business loan with principal and interest repayments. And what's the application process look like for that? Is it, is it difficult? Should, should, should someone do it themselves or they reach out to their banker? Yeah. So that one, you reach out directly through, to, through your bank. They're doing the applications through financial institutions. So you would go ahead and provide some basic details about the business. And the most important thing they're looking for is that T4 filing summary showing that you had payroll requirements satisfied. Yeah. So, so at least um, clients have helped with through the RBC platform, you log in and for some others as well, you log into your online banking for your business account and there'll be a banner that shows up that says, hey, I want to apply for SIBA. SIBA is the Canadian Emergency Business Account. Uh, and you go ahead and you click that and then it'll say, what's your company's name? So you got to put your company name, put your name, who's applying for it. Uh, you put in the dollar amount from, a, it'll ask you for box 14, which is the total amount of salaries that you paid. And that comes from your T4 summary. And then they have you attest to a number of things that, hey, you've been impacted by COVID, yada, 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 you'll repay it back, this, that, and the other, and you click next. So it takes less than five minutes to do it. It's similar to CERB, it seems like something's going wrong it doesn't, and doesn't seem possible, but uh, yeah, they're making it quick and easy so businesses can get it. The government and the banks still do review it because they want to make sure that you are have been a viable business and that you do have the capacity to repay. Um, and then you should see the money in your in uh, your financial institution bank account in three to five business days. Uh, what if someone were to do this and they screwed up, they weren't eligible and they started collecting money by like a loan or like the $2,000 a month kind of a thing. And then six months down the line, what can the government do if they like change the program or uh, find out that you're in ineligible? Is it a fine? Is it like you have to pay it back with interest? What's, what's the worst case scenario? Mm -hmm. So 
a lot of the penalties haven't been t completely flushed out yet. I think there were, the finance minister was saying for the business account loan specifically that they would require, uh, they would charge a penalty up to 225% of the amount with, uh, with high interest rate and there could be potential charges laid as well. Right? Five years um, worth of jail time. There you go. So with the business yeah. one, they've made a very explicit uh, consequence that's been communicated. With the CERB, there hasn't really been anything communicated yet, but I'm sure there would be some sort of interest or penalty with repayment included. And, and the reason for that is they do have a potential penalty in mind, but they also understand that, hey, look, a lot of people are uncertain of what's going to happen in a month ahead, right? Mm -hmm. um, especially with the Canadian emergency, uh, with Canadian emergency wage subsidy uh, coming out as well. Employers are looking to rehire people, um, which should then mitigate them being on CERB. Uh, yeah. So it's like, hey, I collected CERB, but now my employers call me back two, three weeks into this month, like, oh shoot, maybe I can't accept my employment because I got this two grand. No, don't worry about it. Get take your employment back uh, when you do your tax return in 2020. The CRA will assess if that you have to repay it back, and you'll repay it back then when you file your income taxes. This is the importance, everybody, of having a, a financial planner and accountant team with you because they can help you guide you through these uh, these processes because they know what they're doing to make sure that you don't get into trouble. So. If you don't have an accountant that you are buds with, you got to get one. All right, let's talk about this, uh, this wage subsidy as well for business owners. It started off as like 20% or something like that, 25%, and now it's up to 75%. What has happened there and how does that actually work? Yep. So with that one, it initially started as 10%. And what they were, the way that one worked was that typically right. when you have an employee on a monthly basis for your employees, you remit payroll remittances to the CRA. So a portion of their CPP, a portion of their EI, and you withheld, you withhold federal tax amounts from their payroll and you send that over to the government. So the business is responsible for remitting that every month. So the way they, the 10% subsidy was, is they're like, hey, don't worry about giving us that money, keep that money in the business. And that's their contribution in this time of need. So that's initially what it was, but for a lot of employee uh, employers, it wasn't really helping them out because, you know, they're already in a position where they can't afford to pay their employees anything at all, let alone, oh, it's making a huge deal that I'm not having to go ahead and make payroll remittances, right? So the government went ahead and revisited that, and now they introduced the 75% wage subsidy. So the first portion is going to be again, you don't have to remit any payroll remittances. And then the next portion would be them actually injecting cash into the business to help them uh, go ahead and sustain employees and pay them a wage. Now, the specific details regarding that are still yet to be announced, like uh, the way the application process works and exactly the nitty gritty details, but at a high level, that's how the program is gonna be working. Yeah, and so for you to be eligible as a business, you're gonna have, um, whether it's like a, it's be a registered partnership or a corporation, um, you've got to show that you've had a decrease in revenue. So originally the government was using a decrease in revenue of 30% for the, sorry, for the updated 75% uh, program. So you have to show re that your revenue decreased 30% from the prior year. Well, a lot of startup organizations and high growth organizations said, hey, what the hell? My business has literally doubled since last year overall, but my revenue has, I hired a bunch of people to handle this and now mm. revenues dropped in say March, but 
it's higher than my March of 2019, but I had half the staff in 2019. So it's going to happen. So a lot of business groups, again, advocated. And as a result, um, there's an alternative method that you can utilize, which is using your January, the average of your January and February and comparing it to the period uh, that happens. So that, that instance would be compared uh, March 2020 versus in, in comparison to January and February. But understanding that the COVID impacts or like COVID self-isolation and all that stuff put into place was around March 15th. Mm -hmm. The government has said, okay, for the month of March, 15% uh, decrease in revenue. And then for April, May, uh, June, it'll be 30% decrease uh, is what you'll have to show in revenue. And how, and how would someone go about uh, actually implementing this? Talking with their payroll company or payroll provider or accountant? For for Coos, uh, so Coos is, sorry, more uh, lingo, is the Canadian, Canadian Emergency Wage Subsidy is Coos. So to be eligible for Coos, you just, similar to the CERB where you apply online, um, you're going to have to log into your CRA My Business account and go through that process. Again, nothing is detailed or outlined yet, so uh, I can't, and Pearson really can't provide you any details of how and what they're going to ask for for you to prove out that. But again, as we mentioned, the same type of penalties will apply um, for the Canadian Emergency Business Account mm -hmm. to the mm -hmm. Canadian Emergency Wage Subsidy. So, you know, you might think, oh, hey, like, I'm going to go ahead and, you know, apply for it and get it, even though my revenues aren't down and I'm just going to, you know, sub make more, even more money during this time. Well, the government's going to say, you're taking advantage of this, what the heck, and penalize you accordingly, which, again, that's never good to be in their bad books, especially during like a time like this that you're taking advantage. It's just like asking for you to continue to be uh, targeted in the future. That is somebody that you do not want to upset, the CRA. <laughs> um, they can make your life hell. Yeah. So it's, it's one of those things where it comes down to reasonability too, right? So like maybe, yeah, your March was impacted and your April was impacted, but you've now pivoted your business and you're able to figure things out and say, oh, revenue only decreased 28% after, like after you already applied for it. So then you might be like, oh, shoot, I'm under. Well, I think, you know, there's going to be some sort of reasonability and assessment by the government. Um, now that everybody's emailing and communicating that way, uh, make sure you just have some documentation and support us like why you're making these decisions at the time. And if you have it documented in emails and other chains like that and other uh, support, uh, the government will be able to see that, hey, look, uh, for example, if, if you were to do that, Anthony, they'd be like, oh, Anthony's a is a reasonable guy. He wasn't like explicitly taking advantage of this program. And he, he just turns out he was able to then recover revenue at the end, end of the period. Um, so this subsidy is for 75% of the wages, but it's up to a maximum of $847 a week uh, or the amount uh, that you're paid. Um, so some people might be ma making less uh, than 847 a week, uh, but the government will look to cover up to 75% of your pre-COVID salary, technically up to the cap. Um, because some people might say our organizations might have reduced uh, salaries across the board or had employees agreed to reduce salaries during this time period while they stay at home. So what this does is allow the, the government to get companies to rehire their people, keep them still employed relatively. Um, some of them might not be working. Some of them might be doing reduced work. But instead of them having to collect the CERB, they can still collect their salary that way. Um, and the government still gets to collect their uh, payroll taxes and stuff. 
last question before we move on to something a little bit more interesting in the investing world is, do you guys have anything else that you would recommend business owners right now? Are there any other programs they could take advantage of or anything you've been seeing people do? I think that would depend specifically on their business. Like for a lot of our startup clients who already um, get a lot of funding from government grant programs and things like that. Those programs are continuing to provide grants, even given the time they know that some of these companies need the financing more than ever. So some of these programs like the IRAP program are continuing to inject funds into the economy and into these supporting these businesses. So if you're already a company that qualifies for grants, I would say go back and see if there's anything new available or if some of your already funded programs are willing to extend more capital. That's something that's been in place and helping a lot, a lot of these businesses. Yeah, and, and I would say, you know, all these programs that are available, um, reach out to the people who you're currently working with from a financial institution perspective to understand what programs are being offered. Things continually change day to day, so reach out. And if you feel like you aren't being supported by any of these programs and there's nothing there, take the time to write a letter to your local MP. It really does work. So write a letter to your MP saying, hey, look, these programs have been rolled out and it's not really working for my business. And also send the letter to Mary Ng. So Mary Ng is the uh, Liberal Party MP and uh, the federal uh, government who's responsible for small business and, uh, and business trade. Um, and so she's been, you know, working with the finance minister and things like that to roll out these programs to help Canadians during this time. Uh, it's only by taking action and taking the opportunity to write these letters and send them to the government can they then tailor out and get organizations to push these programs. Um, I would then also push it towards your provincial government as well. Um, they're overwhelmed, but this way they can hear your concerns. Um, otherwise, they're going to be making decisions based on the only people who are reaching out to them, which would be the people who are getting the results that they need. Okay, nice, great, I like that. So we've been talking a lot about defense. Oh, revenue's down, this is what we do in order to be defensive, defensive, right? But I actually see a lot of businesses right now that are going, and, and individuals that are going on the offensive. So I'd like to uh, switch gears a little bit and talk about some of the ways that capitalism, it's a beautiful thing, that people are actually making more money or setting themselves up to make more money in the future during this time. So um, most, people, most people know the saying, the best time to invest is when there's blood in the streets. And that's a rather uh, vulgar but older uh, saying. There, there is such a big thing happening right now that there is opportunity happening. And it's um, very, also very well known that every time there's an economic downturn, the gap between the rich and the poor uh, gets bigger. And it's because people with capital or who are smart during these periods of time are going on the offense. So we're going to talk about two things right now. I know you said that your practice does a lot of real estate investing and guiding people through that. So a lot of people have been asking me, is now a good time to invest in real estate? Has the real estate market gone down? Or should I be, should someone be waiting for the real estate market to go down to make purchasing decisions? What, what's, what are you guys telling your real estate investors right now? Yeah, so for us, generally across the board, what we've seen is we haven't necessarily seen an actual decrease in prices yet. 
but as a result of COVID, transaction volumes have dropped. There's a lot of properties that have been listed, which are now sitting on the market. So that's usually the first indicator, which then results in a price decrease, right? So as they continue to sit on the market, we have sellers who want to offload these properties and get rid of them. They potentially have other financial commitments, things like that. The longer it sits, that's when they re realize that they're okay with taking less money for that property. And suddenly sales prices start, sales start happening at lower prices, which then now sets a new market price for that property. And that's kind of what creates that snowball effect, which results in a drop per se. So right now I haven't necessarily seen a drop in prices yet, but I feel like we'll be seeing those effects soon. And, once and, that and, and so, and so for our listeners, these, this is our personal opinion. Again, talk to your experts and individuals before you yeah. make your financial investment decision making. Yeah, for sure. So because your situation, your situation depends. So you know, we're speaking generally here. So you got to talk to us. Your situation might be different. Yeah. Sorry. Go ahead. Yeah. yeah. No worries. Oh, very good point. We have, a, we have, there. yeah, we have a disclaimer at the vi that that we play at the beginning of every podcast that says that, but it is mm -hmm. very important that. Okay. Sorry. I just want to make sure. No. <laughs> no, it's, yeah. it's very important that yeah. people understand I that right now. That. It's it's very it, whenever it's an investment decision, it's always it depends. Like when, yeah. when I do something, it always depends on the person, right? So yeah. uh, before we actually move on, where can people find you guys online if they want to get in contact with you? Yeah, so you can reach out to us through our website, www.galleoncpa.ca, or you can reach out to us on Instagram at midcpa or PV the CPA. Perfect. Now, right now, real estate prices, people are saying that they could go down if there's that snowball effect, that like that mm -hmm. chain reaction that happens. but couldn't it be said that maybe people aren't making that many moves, so there's less um, inventory or less supply, and, mm. and and also lending is becoming cheaper as well. That maybe prices could even go up. Yeah. So so yeah. you have two you have two camps of people, right? So PV, uh, I know from us just talking, he's on the end of hey things are going to pull back, which it's fair. Like there's criteria there for it to be valid. People don't necessarily have jobs. They don't necessarily have the income so they can't necessarily buy right now. Uh, I'm on the other side of things where I'm saying, sure, we might see some momentary dips uh, at the moment uh, or some buying opportunities if you can get deals privately and things like that. Um, however, uh, I think the Canadian government's done a really good job in handling the crisis and, ha and making sure people within the country are really taken care of. So I think from a global perspective, uh, a large factor of Canada's growth is immigration. Um, and I see immigration only increasing from this standpoint uh, because of all the, the quick response that, you know, our federal government and provincial government were able to take to respond to COVID. Um, and these individuals coming in are usually have a lot more capital. So when they come here, they're just going to look to buy immediately um, and, and get into properties that way. Um, similarly, people who are sitting on the sidelines being like, oh, I should buy real estate, I should get into it at some point are finally going to be like, okay, this might be a decent enough opportunity to buy. Um, but again, these are just like guesses. Maybe I'll have you guys again on the podcast in three months from now and I'll play this clip and we'll see what I yeah. <laughs> See with the crystal ball. Yeah, yeah crystal exactly. ball, if it was right. <laughs> well, when it comes to real estate investing, it's kind of like, there's two sides of the camp and even internally we debate it too. Like, could it go up? Could now be a buying opportunity? And I see different sides of the argument and it kind of like, we'll see how it goes. 
Um, but for people that are waiting on the sidelines, now may be an opportunity for you in order to get in, um, but definitely speak with one of your professional people. For sure. Yeah, and, and, I, and I think one thing that me and Pearson, I guess we should talk about from our real estate investing side is that um, a lot of people who invest in real estate go based off appreciation. And that's great, but that isn't the only factor for how we make our decisions. So I'll let Pearson expand. Yeah, so for us, a lot of our real estate investments have been based off of cash flow more so than appreciation. Uh, you know, if you're picking markets where you can continue to get strong rents and the property can not only sustain itself, but pay you monthly, that's what a better investment is for us and has typically been a better return, especially in times like this, you know, it, it's much better to be cash rich than equity rich, because how are you gonna go and get access to your equity, especially in a time like this where, um, you know, think there's a lot of uncertainty, the value of the properties could potentially be dropping, things of that nature. So, you know, having more cash flowing investments where you can stockpile cash and utilize that to go and purchase is uh, something that helps you hedge in these scenarios. And, and and that's typically what real estate is. Like real estate usually is like a fixed income investment where it pays, where it pays you cash on a monthly basis. But why do Toronto investors and GTA investors usually look at that appreciation aspect of a mm -hmm. property? And you can't really get that great cash flowing properties in the GTA. Where should people be looking for cash flow opportunities when it comes to real estate? So I, I would say there are definitely opportunities within Toronto and the GTA as well. It just isn't as easy. I think a lot of people who say, oh, I want to get into real estate are thinking, hey, I'm going to get my, the guy who helped me buy my personal home to find me a real estate investment property. No, that guy is not going to know anything because his focus or her focus is on selling people their starter home or their family home. They don't know what to look for in a real estate investment. Similarly, even the people or real estate agents who might say, oh, hey, this is an opportunity, they might not have access to off-market deals where you might be able to get lower pricing and things of that nature. And you might have to you know, get permits to change the zoning uh, or if the pr property zoned accordingly, turn like a regular single family home into a duplex. And so there's a bunch of different things that you might have to do to make the property to be able to cash flow. And as long as it follows code and uh, is allowed by your municipality, then you're able to look at it that way. You're just not going to be able to technically get a turnkey solution that you just buy immediately and receive monthly cash flow. So that's why people end up investing in REITs and stuff like that in, in the stock market. I find okay. a lot of investors also just, you know, they, when they look to get into real estate investing, you know, their mindset is very simple. Okay. I had a 200 grand sitting in my bank account here. Let me invest that in real estate. And now I'm going to buy this Toronto property using the 200K for a down payment and just hold it and let it appreciate rather than sitting in the bank. And they don't go and learn the alternative strategies on how to get a better return. If any of you wants to hear a little bit more about those alternative strategies, Pierre Santh and I did a podcast, episode 21 or something like that on our playlist about real estate investing. And we'll definitely have you on the podcast again to go even deeper next time. Okay, so that's real estate investing. Definitely talk. Uh, what I think is important is when you're looking to invest in real estate, you get a team around you that are investors of real estate. So someone who's a realtor that understands that kind of thing and definitely reach out to Pierce Santhor Mitt over here. They know a lot when it comes to the tax implications of real estate investing as well. So I'll just ask a couple more questions before we wrap up. 
So one thing is that people's stock and bond portfolios, their mutual funds, their ETFs have taken a big hit since January. Mm -hmm. You know, we've seen drops of 30 to 35%. Now markets since three weeks ago, when they hit that bottom have been up 20% from there, but you're still seeing a 20 to 25% decrease from January one. What are some things that you would tell your clients to do during this period of time? Uh, well, Mitt, I'll let you answer this one because you're the biggest stock guy. But for me, you know, one thing I live by is it's only a loss if you sell. So, you know, That's what I was going to say too. <laughs> if you believe in the investment, that. do not sell it. Uh, do not sell it. If you believed in it and that's what you, made you buy into that company, you know, these temporary circumstances are, are what's kind of causing this. So, uh, you know, if, if you did your homework, you believe in the company, the valuation was good, all, all of these factors that led you to make that investment decision, stand by the company and just continue to hold. And, and I think one of the other factors there as well is that a lot of people who have gotten to investing, especially I would say millennials these days, they're doing it through platforms like Wealthsimple or they're self doing self-directed investments, but they're doing that for ETFs. And they read a website once uh, and they said, oh yeah, this is how it's gonna work. And so they just bought. They never, they never really went through, you know, 2008 drops, you know, cause they were probably just earning income at that time. Um, so now they were going through their first real drop in uh, the stock market. And they're really having to understand like, oh, wow, like, shoot, this isn't always just going to go up. It's not guaranteed. Like, what am I going to do? Um, and that's why the self-directed portion and, you know, the wealth simple options aren't always the greatest because sometimes you need a financial advisor or someone who understands uh, like why you make the decision and why you might actually start buying more right now to average your, your cost base down. And, and, that's, and, something, that. and that's something that I want to stress right now. If you were to what's your favorite clothing place pure sand favorite clothing place yeah oh man i'm more of an online shopper these days man do you like do you like watches do you like jewelry imagine yeah, you watches. wanted like imagine you wanted like your watch and it was like five thousand dollars ten thousand dollars and it was on sale 30 percent. you would buy two of those watches that's yeah, what it's like sure. right now in the stock market valuations are so low right now people are again thinking about that defensive mindset Go on the offensive. If you do have cash and always have a plan in place, now would be the time to buy into uh, the stock market in a diversified portfolio. And I think one of the things that people have to understand is uh, immediately out of fear, a lot of people end up selling and they're selling their ETFs. So to understand an ETF is a basket of stocks that are held uh, by a fund and you own a piece of that fund that holds all these stocks. So when you sell your piece of that fund because you're scared, now the underlying portfolio manager has to go and sell that basket of stocks. That basket of stocks can hold really good. Like for example, the craziest thing I thought was that Visa uh, and MasterCard dropped like 30, 40% as well originally. And, and I started laughing because I'm like, this is insane because Visa and MasterCard are only getting more use now that everything's online. And no one wants uh, contact lists and things like that nature. So Square and all these other uh, services are going to be increasing right now. Uh, and unfortunately, due to the herd mindset of, oh, no, it's dropping. I got to sell and get out now. It continually caused that spiral to go down. And it causes some of these good stocks to go where there's potential opportunity uh, to actually take advantage and buy those and, and see those opportunities. I think one of the biggest things for me, at least personally, is I saw like the bank stocks dropping to you know 
2016 lows and I was like, woohoo, it's time, it's Christmas, right? It's time to, to buy because, you know, when TD Bank and RBC are, had like a dividend yield of five to six percent going, right? You're like, okay, the banks aren't going anywhere. If anything, they're seeing more activity right now. And, you know, in a, in a while, they'll be okay. Their, you know, bank account is going to keep them around. Like, holy shit, fail. like, yeah, too big to fail. Like, just get that interest, just collect those dividends and reinvest and buy some other stock as well, right? So uh, it's in the eye of the beholder. Obviously, don't go and start, you know, spending every single dollar you have trying to invest in this moment. Uh, again, as you were speaking earlier about dollar cost averaging, create a plan, maybe buy like a weekly, month, semi-monthly, monthly, whatever it is, create a plan and stick to it. Uh, talk to your financial advisor or talk to yourself internally as to, hey, why did I make this plan in the first place? What was my investment decision criteria? Did things actually change and will it actually be okay post this whole crisis? Perfect. Thank you guys. Okay. Uh, this is the last question and we'll wrap up. We already talked about where people can connect with you online, but uh, the last question is just on tax filing. So now is tax season. You guys must be battling this COVID-19 stuff with tax season. What are the delays in the tax filings, all that information that people should know about? Yep. So uh, like the standard Canadian deadline of April 30th has now been extended to July 1st. If you have a balance owing on that uh, tax return, you have until September 1st to pay that balance owing. That's one of the big ones. Uh, the CRA is also encouraging if you are in a refund position, potentially file right away. They're, they're processing and that way you can have that refund money in your pocket to help you through these difficult times. So, um, you know, they're still accepting the returns on time. If you do need the extra, extra time to file, they've gone ahead and extended those dates for you. And sorry, so there's one one correction for personal. It's uh, June 1st. Okay. And then for business owners, especially with HST? So that's been, again, also delayed. So HST filing is still due. Like you still should file your HST on time. But I believe they've extended that one as well. I believe to June 1st or June 15th. I'm assuming, I think it's June 15th. So the deadlines and things are always changing. I'm sure they're going to extend it out again, just because there's a bunch of people who still don't know how to use online to do taxes and th or transfer information over. Yeah. So I'm, I'm, I'm sure uh, it'll likely get pushed, but um, yeah, basically business owners are being given relief to hold on to their HST money in case they need to utilize it to get by during this period. Um, but make sure, make sure to know that, you know what, the H HST is technically the governance money. So you're still going to have to pay it back to them. So make sure you have a payment plan to get that HST to them for September 1st. Perfect. That's a good time to wrap up. We went about an hour. Guys, thank you so much for being on the podcast today. Anybody who's listening, these are the types of things that you need to know if you want to be a successful business owner or investor and take it up a notch. The biggest difference between you know, people that struggle financially and people that excel and thrive financially is these are the things that they know the general just about, you know, you don't have to know everything that we spoke about in detail today. That's why you have your financial advisor and your accountants and your lawyers and your realtors, but knowing like 20% of everything that we talked about so you can be in a conversation goes a long way. So thank you guys again, your gentlemen and scholars. Thank you as always, Mitt, nice to do this with, with you. Yeah, um, thanks for having me. Hope you guys stay safe. Enjoy your Sunday. Thanks, Anthony. Take care. Appreciate it, man. Take care. Yeah. Peace. Boom.
Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode. Hope you enjoyed it. Be sure to follow us on Instagram at The Wise Investor. Until next time. This is what they did not teach you in school. We hope to see you soon.